CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Happy Friday and TGIF Options Action fans. I am Dominic Chu in for Melissa Lee today. We've got a great show ahead for you. So here is what's on deck. Tonight, we're taking you to the other side of the globe in search of opportunity. And there's every indication that, that there's more to come. Carter Worth explains why Japan is poised for a pop. Then, the next horse in the race for a COVID treatment. There's a lot of upside here. Tony Zhang shows you how best to make hay of Eli Lilly. Plus, what could be more fun than insurance? No, seriously. This is an interesting situation. It's actually captivating when Professor Ko explains how to engage it. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. All right, let's get right to it. U.S. markets may have rallied for a strong week, but the chart master and Mike say there's opportunity to be found across the Pacific. Carter Braxtonworth, break down the charts for us here. What are you looking at in Japan? Sure. Before we get to the actual charts, what we do know, of course, is year to date, the Nikkei is virtually unch versus the S&P up almost 8%. So with that in mind, let's look at a few charts. The first is essentially looking at uh, Taiwan versus Korea. So instead of using the Taiwan Stock Exchange Index or the KOSPI, we're using the iShares. So that's the EWT for Taiwan and EWY uh, for Korea. And what you see is they are literally neck and neck. It's a perfect uh, set of parallel lines. Now, add in Japan, second chart, EWZ, the iShares for Japan. And here you see the divergence. If I were to include the SPY, it would look identical to the EWT and the EWI, which is to say these are all in dollars, right? So we've sort of adjusted out for the currency. That comparative chart is the opportunity, Japan lagging. And so take a look now at the individual iShares themselves. First, the EWT. I've circled the pre-pandemic high, the plunge, we've recovered to it and we've broken out. Uh, the, the index has made new highs, right? And we, we know that the index itself, the Taiwan Stock Exchange Index. Now look at Korea. Next chart, EWY, the iShares for the Kospi. Same circumstance. You have the pre-pandemic high. I've circled it. And then the plunge, and we've recovered to it and broken out. Final chart, EWZ, the iShares for Japan. I've circled the pre-pandemic high, the plunge, but we have not yet broken out. The inference is Japan will. The long trade here is EWZ. All right, so there's the trade. We're looking at Japan using those t- country ETFs to play it. Uh, thanks very much, Carter, for that. Mike Coe, let's go to you. Then, H- How exactly do you execute that particular view? Yeah, so I, I actually was looking at uh, EWJ, actually, which is uh, the MSCI Japan Index ETF. And there's a couple things I would just uh, have us observe about this. So One of the things that we might think about when we're noticing that Japan hasn't quite kept pace, for example, with the S&P 500, is that Japan, although it has some big globally recognized names in that index, 
it doesn't have the same stocks that obviously have lifted the S&P. I'm talking now about the Apples and Amazons and Teslas of the world. Of course, Tesla's not in the S&P 500, but it certainly represents a big chunk of the U.S. equity markets and some of the rally that we've seen. But it does include some notable names, Toyota, Honda, Mitsubishi, and some tech names as well. Nintendo and Sony are among them. Now, this is typically a very low volatility ETF. That obviously sets up well for making directional bets, but it is slightly elevated like many global indices. We're seeing implied uh, volatility surrounding the election largely, so we're seeing a little bit of a bump there. It came in a little bit since last week, but it's still slightly higher. So I was looking at a calendar spread that's just slightly out of the money to the upside. Specifically, I was looking at the January 63 calls in EWJ. Those were about 65 cents when I was looking at those, and then selling the Novembers against it for 20 cents net-net you'd be laying out $0.45 cents per contract. Since each contract represents 100 shares, that's $45. But overall, you're going to be spending less than 1% of the current level of EWJ to make this bullish bet, which, by the way, will see its peak profits at the expiration of the earlier option if it goes to that strike price, which would represent an increase of about 5 to 6% between now and November expiration. And then, of course, thereafter, since you own the longer-dated call, if there was a continued rally, you'd benefit from that, too. All right. So, so, so uh, let's talk a little bit about, more about this, Tony. I, I, I think, Tony, if you've got this situation where you want to be long, longer term, you've cheapened it up a little bit by selling some of those nearer dated calls. How exactly does this play out? Is this a trade you agree with to take that kind of a view? So uh, Carter mentioned a few things, and Mike also said that this is a fairly slow and steady type ETF. You look at the chart, that's exactly what you see is EWJ grinding its way higher. Carter also mentioned the fact that EWJ is lagging behind some of the other countries. And from my perspective, that really speaks to the economic indicators that we're currently looking out of Japan. They're slowly improving, but they're not particularly strong from my perspective. And also, the makeup of the ETF, as Mike said, is fairly dominant with tech, uh, tech names, consumer discretionary names. It does have very low um, exposure to sectors like energy and utilities. From my perspective, if you look at the chart, I do see some massive resistance at that 60 and a half level. And the fact that it's lagging behind most of the other domestic equities, from my perspective, I think the upside here is fairly limited. So while I like Mike's structure here on the specific trade to have this slow grind higher, I think that I would simply adjust my strikes a little bit lower simply because my target prices aren't as high. I was looking at the 61 strike here. Um, what I particularly like about Mike's trade here is that he's risking less than 1% of the ETF's value to take his bullish bet. But you can actually lower that strike price down to about the 61, give you a slightly higher probability of profit, but only risk just a little bit over 1%. So still taking on a smaller amount of risk, but for me, a little less upside that I see here for EWJ. So, so let's turn back to you, Carter, as we look at the charts. How exactly, time-wise, do we kind of expect this thesis to play out of yours? I mean, like you said, it could be a slow grind. What exactly would you be watching for signal-wise about whether this trade accelerates or decelerates? Right. First of all, thank you, Mike. Three times I said EWZ. That's the Brazil ETF. We, of course, are talking about Japan, EWJ. But here is the thinking. One can see it as a laggard. It is, and therefore something's wrong, idiosyncratic, or it's a laggard and it's going to play catch-up. That's actually the kind of tape we're seeing. We're seeing bombed-out value names in the U.S. catching a bid, GE, for instance, we just heard, regional banks. And so the thinking here is that it will be the latter, that it's a laggard that actually will play catch-up. 
uh, it is at a difficult level, and a breakout, if and as it's able to do it, is the definition of momentum. We think you can get at least 6 to 8%, if not more. All right, Mike Coe, we'll give you the last word here. As you top it off, what exactly do you think is the, is, is the real yeah, kind I mean, of case here? Yeah, I mean, the case if you're playing for the breakout is that 6 to 8% move, which is the reason that I chose that strike. If you think it's just going to go sideways, you know, I'm not necessarily sure that this is the place I would be playing. But, I mean, we're not risking a great deal of money to make that bet if it goes that way. And if it doesn't, risking less than 1%. So I think uh, we're setting ourselves up with the right trade structure for Carter's thesis. All right, Japan, a key one to watch, EWJ, that ETF that everyone's kind of playing with right now. Thanks very much, guys. Let's move on here to a more specific part of the market. Domestically, investors getting a bit more bullish on big pharma in today's rally as the race for a coronavirus treatment heats up. And our own Tony Zhang says there's one name in this pharma group that could have some healthy gains ahead. Tony, lay it out for us. Which drug company are you looking at? I'm taking a look at Eli Lilly because antibody treatments predominantly has been taken most of a backseat to vaccine news. But with President Trump last week getting the Regeneron treatment, that's been pushed back into the spotlight. And both Regeneron and Eli Lilly both applied for the FDA for emergency use this week. So before investors jump into these types of names, I think it's important to understand what you're investing in. So both the Regeneron and Eli Lilly drugs, these are both monoclonal antibody drugs. So these are both only useful for COVID-19 patients that have seen less severe cases and specifically early on, similar to what President Trump was seeing when he received this treatment. So it's important to understand that these are not vaccines. They're not useful necessarily right now for prevention purposes, even though both Regeneron and Eli Lilly have started clinical trials to see the efficacy of using them as a preventative measure. However, the the efficacy so far has been fairly strong in both clinical trials. So far, Eli Lilly has seen about a 72% reduction in risk, meaning the number of patients that are seeing hospitalizations compared to a control group is 72% less. And for Regeneron, it's a small sample size is down 59%. So both of these have fairly strong uh, trials at the current moment. So it's important to take a look at this because the optimism around right now is the efficacy and more importantly the speed at which these types of treatments could potentially get FDA approval for emergency use. However, both of these treatments have limited production capacity. So that is one of the limiting upside functions of this of these types of investments. So when you couple that with the chart, what we're seeing is that Eli Lilly has been underperforming the broader markets and the healthcare space for the last few months. But on, these, uh, but on this FDA news, it's recently broken out above that 155 level and broken that downtrend. And we're starting to see a little bit of outperformance here. So when you couple the potential optimism here around the drug and the chart, what I'm looking to use is a trade structure going out to December to buy myself a little bit of time. And I'm going to use a, a debit cr- a vertical spread here. I'm going out to December and I'm buying the 155 170 call vertical here, spending about $8.70 for that December 155 and collecting about $3.20 for that December 170 call option because I have a target price here of about 170 to the upside. And if Regeneron, if Eli Lilly does break out substantially higher in the short run in the next few weeks, what I would do is I would try to roll this up a little bit further uh, into that 170, 190 level if we do get a breakout here up to that 170 target. All right, that's a that's a 
an interesting way to go about playing it. It also, again, cheapens things up a little bit with that. Mike Coe, let's turn to you here for the trade structure. Does Tony's trade make sense? I, I, I see getting long the call, and I see cheapening up a little bit. Is this the way that you would play Lilly? Yeah, I think something people ought to focus on when they're looking at this call spread is notice that the lower strike that Tony has chosen here is in the money by almost $2, actually. So when you think about the decay, and that's one of the things you want to think about when you use any kind of a debit option strategy going into any potential catalyst, is how much decay you're ultimately going to pay. In this case, you're spending $5.55 in premium, but the decay probably represents only about $3.65 or so of that. And so usually when we're trying to get payoffs of call it three to one on vertical spreads, debit spreads, here it's not as critical because of the fact that it's already in the money. That improves its probability of profit as well. The other thing I like about it is he's given himself a little bit of time. It's often very difficult to play very short dated catalysts. It's a little bit of a coin toss. But if your thesis is in alignment, this is a way that you can mitigate your downside risk because you're only spending $5.55 versus, you know, well over 100 to buy the stock. So this is a way that you can make a bullish bet into a period of uncertainty, playing off some of the fundamental items that he's just outlined and have relatively good probability of profit and relatively low decay. So all of those things, I think, are attractive aspects of this. CBW, let's turn to you here. I mean, Tony pointed out the chart. It, it, it's kind of snapped a couple of different trends. It's gotten above where it's supposed to in terms of the overall kind of longer-term trend lines. Do you believe the charts here is really due for more upside? Well, I think one of the more compelling things on an immediate basis is if you look at the sort of the long-term big three, Merck, Pfizer, Lilly, just on a trailing 12-month basis, uh, the other two have made no progress. They're virtually unch, and Lilly is up 46% meaning the market is speaking, the collective wisdom of all participants, whether they're dedicated healthcare portfolio managers or generalists, people are favoring LA. That is the very definition of impressive relative strength compared to other, and maybe it's because of COVID or what have you, but what we do know is that you want to often go with a leader or a laggard. It's something in between that becomes uninteresting. Lily is a leader in this case compared to Merck and Pfizer. I like it. All right. Big move there for Lily. Big trade there with the call spread. Thanks, guys, very much for that. And for everything Options Action, check out our website. It's optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. It's free. Here's what's coming up next on the show. Tony just tackled Eli Lilly. Now Professor Coe is going to broaden out this healthcare class and show you how to capture a move in United Health. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action. With all the news surrounding potential coronavirus treatments, it's no wonder that the biotech trade is red hot these days. But that speculation isn't the only way to hit the healthcare side of the trade. So if you're looking for a way to find a dose of healthy returns, 
to your portfolio and add that without making your wallet sick, Mike Co is here to write you a prescription for some big gains. I'm feeling especially punny today, Mike. <laughs> yeah, we're talking about United Health. And United Health, of course, is not a pharmaceutical company or a biotech. We're talking about part of the managed care sector. This is a healthcare insurance, and they ha- handle that side of the business. But it is a remarkably well-run business, I must say. And I'm going to just th- show, throw a quick shout-out to one of my former colleagues from a long time ago, Cheryl Skolnick, who was our healthcare analyst back in the days at CRT Capital, who was a huge fan of the stock back then and had been for a long time since and got me pointed in this direction. I've loved this company. And the one reason you might love it, of course, is if you take a look at the consistent earnings growth that they've managed to generate. The EPS growth has been just spectacular over a lengthy period of time. Of course, this year's a little bit extraordinary, and one of the reasons for that is that healthcare has just generally been disrupted. So a lot of the things that might have impacted their operating results, surgical procedures that got delayed, things like that, obviously, there's a little bit of idiosyncratic stuff just dealing with the pandemic. But that does not take away from how good an operator this company has been. Now, one of the things I think that's important to point out, although the valuation is actually quite cheap given its growth, is that there is something else that sits on the horizon, of course, for companies in this space, and that is the election. If we take a look at the implied volatility, they're going to be reporting earnings, unsurprisingly. We see higher implied volatility as a result of that. But we also see significantly elevated implied volatility due to the election. Now, of course, one of the reasons for that is that the insurance sector, the managed care space, is obviously one of the things that people think about when they wonder whether we're going to get a change in administration and sort of a switch in direction. So what I'm trying to do here is take advantage of that elevated volatility by some of the cheaper volatility I see longer term. I was looking at buying the January 340 strike calls. Those were about $15.50 when I was looking at those earlier today. And then selling the November 350 strike call, slightly higher strike, for $6. Net-net. We're going to be spending $9.50 per contract, $950 in total. Obviously, that's not the cheapest trade we've ever seen, but this is not a cheap stock at over $300. So this is a way you can take advantage of the fact that we have elevated volatility for earnings, elevated volatility for the election, and the January options which you own are going to capture two earnings and the election. All right, Tony, is this the way that you would play this particular scenario? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I love the stock from a fundamental perspective for the same reasons that Mike said, and I think it trades at a very reasonable valuation for all those reasons. But from a technical perspective, you have a stock that recently just broke out above a major 320 resistance level. And not only has it broken out on an absolute basis, it's it's right now, if you look at it on a relative basis compared to XLV, the healthcare space, it's on the verge of a multi-year breakout. So I'm extremely bullish on this particular play, on this particular stock. So I, I like Mike's trade, and I specifically like the the fact that on the November calls, he's he's gone all the way up to that 350, giving himself a lot of room to the upside in the short run. And then he has that long January 340 call to take advantage of longer term upside. Carter Braxton Worth, the charts, what do they tell you? Sure. Well, first of all, we do know, of course, this is the behemoth uh, within the sector. If you look at all the stocks, uh, even an Amgen, uh, some of the greats, uh, this is up eightfold versus its sector. It's almost tripled the performance of Amgen, one of the great performers, almost fivefold over J&J since uh, the sector data begins back in 1989. It's the one that's been the most consistent, most reliable. And in fact, at certain points over the last five years, it has been the single most widely owned stock among many long-only players. 
in any event, it's a fantastic, we have a chart here, if it's up there you can see it. It has been toying with the prospects of breaking above this ascending line for quite some time. It is now that it's likely to do it, in my estimation. All right, traders, keep an eye on that UNH, United Health Group stock. Thanks very much, guys, for that. Well, coming up next on the show, shares of Caterpillar leaping higher this week. What that means for one of our traders. We've got more options action coming up with Cat after this. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Options Action and a look back now at one of our own open trades. A few weeks back, Tony Zhang came down with a case for cat scratch fever. I'd like to take a look at Caterpillar recently breaking out above that 150 level, which happens to be the November 2019 highs. Recently came back to retest that as support, and I think that this is a a potential continuation higher here for a name like Caterpillar, especially if you couple with the fact that this is a stock that's trading at a fairly reasonable 28 times forward earnings. It's got a very stable dividend that's fairly covered, it's fairly um, well covered by operating cash flows. So this is the type of stock that I'm looking to play defense in this type of weaker market. I'm going out to the October, December 155, 160 call diagonal. I'm going out to December paying about $10.30 for that 155 call. And I'm selling an October 160 call against it, collecting about $3.15. Net net here, I'm paying about $7.15 for this call diagonal. All right, Tony, what have you done with this trade in the meantime? Yeah, so this is a diagonal that's worked out fairly perfectly. You can take about 85% gains earlier here today, so I would take my profits and run. All right, coming up next, guys, the final call. Welcome back, folks. Time for the final call. Carter Braxton Worth to you. Japan, get long. The Nikkei 500 actually is making all-time highs right now. EWJ, the vehicle. Uh, All right, Tony. Playing for FDA approval of Eli Lilly's drugs, buying a December call vertical. Mike Coe. UNH call diagonals in earnings. All right. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.